You're listening to the Alliance Theatre Podcast, an exploration of theatre and the people who make it happen. Hosted by Ariel Tenter and Ansley Ursery. Welcome to the Alliance Theatre Podcast. My name is Ariel Tinter. And I'm Ansley Ursery. And this is the first podcast episode of 2020. Welcome to the new year, to the yes. new decade. 2020. Can you believe that we're here already? Perfect vision in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good time to be alive. It is. And it's a good time to be at the Alliance Theatre because right now we are presenting a little big show, big little show called Maybe Happy Ending. What a great segue, Ari. Thank you. Beautiful, heartfelt show that's going on in the Coca-Cola stage. It's a really intimate story. It is. And very simple, but the way that we have presented it on that Coca-Cola stage is pretty magical. It is magical. Michael Arden has done a great job mixing the technology with a romantic story. One of the things we'll be talking about today is the diversity of this show. We have an almost all Asian American cast and half the writing team is uh, Asian as well. So we want to talk about diversity in theater. How to approach those conversations generally yes. because it, it can be a, an uncomfortable subject if people aren't versed in the language. And it's important to look at ourselves while we do this episode. Mm -hmm. So we're really looking forward to talking to Hershey Milner who is our Bold Artistic Associate, and she is also the Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee Co-Chair of the Alliance Theater. And we're going to ask you some, some questions. So welcome, Hershey. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. My assumption is that people want to do better, but they don't necessarily have the tools. And so to start us off, to kind of keep us in line and on track, how do we approach these conversations I think the first thing is to assume good intent. I think these conversations around producing shows, casting shows, how we interact with the community, assuming good intent is the best way to start because although people can say and do damaging things, at the end of the day, this is a collaborative art form. And I think we all want everyone to improve and grow and be better. I also think in interpersonal conversations, it's great to use I statements and to understand that when you're talking about any community, any diverse community, there's are not going to be, uh, you know, hard and fast rules. I mean, in general, I like to think we all can agree on certain things like blackface and things like that. But overall, you can't speak to only one person on your staff who's a member of that community and assume that everybody in your city or town is going to think or feel the same way. So having a place for open dialogue, a place where everyone is comfortable making mistakes, a place when we all have the shared goal of creating a better show, better art, more collaborative theater making, and really making sure our theater is part of the community. I think that's always a great place to start before we get into any you know, historical precedent or academic language. Just we all want the show to be great. We want people to see it, and we want them to walk away feeling something different. Can you give us an idea of what you do at the Alliance Theater, your day-to-day. -day. I know you manage a lot of things on the artistic front. Sure. So um, my largest project now is that I'm the producer of the Riser Atlanta Artist Lab, which is a program that provides funding and development to three projects helmed by local Atlanta artists. Um, and they are presented at the Alliance Theater as part of a festival of new work starting this year and next year. Um, I also work in audience development and community engagement, which involves partnerships with community organizations, pre-show and post-show conversations, and sizzle events, which are kind of like cocktail parties where we introduce the community to the cast and they get to hear a bit about the show. Um, as you I'm also the co-chair of the EDI committee. Um, I also work with our Kenny, Leon, Emery, and Oglethorpe interns. And I also work in the literary department. So I sometimes write articles for the Playbill and conduct interviews. 
A busy, a busy woman. Yeah. Do you <laughs> sleep? That is no. my question. <laughs> How did you get involved in theater? What was your, oh, what's wow. that story like? Yeah. So I actually, I majored in archaeology and religion in undergrad, but theater was something I did as a hobby throughout my life. And it wasn't until my uh, second semester of senior year of college, I had a come to Jesus moment and realized I really wanted to explore a career in theater. But at that point, of course, all of my experience was in the archaeology, anthropology, art history world. So I got a uh, apprenticeship at McCarter Theater Center in Princeton, New Jersey, where I was the producing and casting apprentice. Then I came to Atlanta to work in our education department for Collision, and after which I was hired as the casting and engagement associate. Very cool. So when so as theater being your hobby, was it just something that you had access to as a kid and yeah, um, I grew up in a, I would say, a musical household. My father was always a big patron of the arts, of theater, of museums, and my mother was a professional dancer. So we always were going to theater, seeing shows, and it was something I always loved to do as a hobby. I just, you know, when you're a kid, if you can't see it, it's hard to dream it. And I didn't know, besides acting, there were any other roles or careers in theater. And it wasn't until I was in college and starting to meet people at the KCCTF College Festival that I realized there were all these different fields that you could be involved in the art without having to be on stage. So once that was introduced to me, it was easier to, to try to imagine that as a career. And so I decided to pursue it. Do you consider, because the work you're doing, you're in artistic, do you consider yourself an artist? Ooh, therapy. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I, for many years, I didn't. Um, it's still hard for me to consider myself an artist. What I think art administrators do is inherently creative and we're very involved in the art. However, I'm a very binary thinker. So I will say I view myself as an arts administrator, but I do think that there are people who do the work that I do who do consider, them, consider themselves artists. And I think both of those are valid. Hershey, what's the ultimate goal in increasing diversity in theater? I think it depends on who you ask. On one hand, we have a lot of incredibly talented actors of color who are not getting their fair shot because roles written for them are going to Caucasian actors or uh, producers and directors have a hard time imagining a cast that was traditionally white as something other than that. Um, it's really incredible, as I mentioned, if you can see it, you can dream it for younger people and for people to know that you have a place on stage, you have a place in the limelight, you're beautiful, you're talented, you're worth being seen um, in terms of money. There is a lot of money in various communities of colors that are untapped because theaters aren't producing with them in mind. So even if you have no ethical or moral uh, leaning towards diversity, in terms of the bottom line, we have money to spend and we want to see great theater that represents us. And so there's that as well. And also in terms of money grants as well, there's a lot of really great humanities grants, a lot of really great organizations who want equity, who want diversity, and that money can be used to fund the theater. So. Frankly, I think whether you're looking at it from a capitalist perspective or from a moral, moral perspective, excuse me, there is no downside to having more diverse theater, sharing different stories, hiring different people, and you know, putting up a season that really reflects the community you live in. And I will also like to say diversity is beyond race and uh, ethnicity as well. I mean, I think we have a really serious issue when it comes to actors of varying ability. We have a serious issue when it comes to actors of varying body type. I think that's one of the more, most, uh, in my perspective, the most underrepresented in theater. A lot of our leads are a certain size. And what does that say about people who are that size? And what does that say about the American community that increasingly is getting larger as time goes on? 
why, again, why is there this disconnect between who we see on stage and who we see in our regular lives? Building a season is a very complicated puzzle. It's a very big picture thing. And I have a very hard time believing that any artistic director goes into it thinking, oh, I want to exclude these people. I want to exclude these stories. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I think you're so detailed when it comes to budget and place in the season and who's going to direct it and what's the co-pro that you step back and you realize, oh my gosh, Every, like five out of our six shows are from the same perspective or we don't have any female directors. And I think being mindful of those things, keeping them top of mind, it can be helpful. In my perspective, a lot of it is unconscious. I've, I've very rarely met people who are at least are outwardly willing to say, oh, I only want a cast that looks like this or I only or I think male playwrights are the best playwrights. So I only uh, produce them. It doesn't normally work like that. In my perspective, people will say, oh, we produce the, you know, the best American classics ever. And then for 10 years only produce male playwrights, not realizing that the, what's implied there is that only men are, are, are great American playwrights. So it's having those conversations, I think. In leading the equity, diversity, and inclusion group, um, is there anything that stood out in that experience? I think that what has stood out to me the most, being a part of the leadership, but also being a member of the committee through other people's leadership, is that there's always a balance between how someone is going to receive something and the burden on the person explaining it. And I say that to say everyone, every person I know from wherever they sit on the intersections of privilege and oppression, it takes a different level of patience, of empathy, of articulation to explain a topic or to navigate a discussion that's fraught with emotion. And all of us have our own ways of handling that. So in thinking about what the ideal situation is for uh, different facets of diversity in theater, what would, if you could have a project or a show that would be considered diverse, what, it, what does that look like in terms like, is there a certain like number or percentage or? I don't. Um, I think, I think numbers and percentages are a great place to start. Mm -hmm. I don't think they should be the end goal. But for example, someone could say, I have a cast of 10 people five of them are people of color and five of them are Caucasian people. But if I watch the show and I see that, oh, the five people who are people of color don't have any lines, they're in the background, they're on stage for five minutes each time, that's not, that's not an equal balance of power. That's not an equal balance of representation. It's not just about representing people. It's how you represent them. Um, so not to avoid the question, I don't think I can give a, a perfect example, but questions I wish people would ask them is one who are we trying to reach with this story? Is Are we speaking to a universal audience from a specific perspective, or are we striving for a universal look overall? I think about Christmas Carol. Many productions will have a, a black Mr. Cratchit, an Asian Mrs. Cratchit, and a bunch of Middle Eastern children, because the point of the show is about community and values and growth. It's not about you know clear genealogy. <laughs> for example, there are shows, though, where Everyone in the family needs to look like they're from the same family because this is an inter this is an intergenerational family dynamic, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I would challenge people to be color conscious, not color blind. Look at the script first. Look at the integrity of the piece. You need to have a black seaweed in hairspray. That's part of the story. Mm -hmm. You need to have a Latina Maria in West Side Story, which is one that happens all the time. Unfortunately, people think they can change that story because of how a person looks. Um, I think you also have to look at what kind of message are you putting on top of a play when you cast it? There are a lot of plays out there and musicals that if you cast it one way can read completely different to the audience than if you cast it another way, whether or not that was your intent. If you come to a show and see, huh, they're doing Winnie the Pooh 
and everyone on stage is white except for Kanga and her child, and the whole plot's about kicking them out of the forest because they're not welcome here, how does that read? <laughs> um, and those are the things I think sometimes people have a hard time pulling up and pulling out and seeing, which is why it's so important to have environments where people of different backgrounds feel empowered to speak. They have the opportunity to contribute because I've, I've been in, here at the Alliance. I've been in situations where I pointed something out that nobody else noticed. And I, and I, they didn't notice it because they didn't grow up with a black or Latina experience. And no one can know every other person's perspective and experience, but that's why it's so important to create and facilitate an environment where you can listen and we all can be held accountable. Mm -hmm. Because until we're in a position where the power dynamics have shifted and our leadership is more reflective of our country, then we're gonna have to be even more sensitive, I feel, to being mindful of these different perspectives. What, what do you think about, you, you mentioned, you know, West Side Story, Marie and West Side mm -hmm. Story. Lin-Manuel Manuel Miranda has mentioned that um, in a perfect world, In the Heights would be produced at every high school in the country. And mm. I'm curious to know what you think about, like, high schools, for instance, doing West Side Story. Or, or Once on the Island. Right, yeah. Uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Do high schools have a free pass or how do you approach yeah so that world that, that's a great question and i'll just say this as i say for all these one person one opinion i feel differently about educational environments yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um i use my own background as an example i went to predominantly white high school mm -hmm. uh we did not do any player musical that had anything to do with race or ethnicity at all. It's also a Catholic school, so you know, we did like Godspell and Robin Hood. Um, I have seen high school productions in which they have done blatantly inappropriate things, such as blackface, such as uh, girls getting spray tans to look darker, to play Latina characters. Those things I think are always wrong. However, I don't hold a, you know, high school or middle school with an English teacher as a director with a budget of $300, the same way I hold professional theater, community theaters, Broadway, off-Broadway musicals. Um, I think, however, I can think of examples of students who have protested uh, castings in their own high schools, and I fully support that, though. They're the ones part of that environment. They're the ones that have the context of living in that town and that space mm -hmm. and know what it means to them to see these things on stage. So I say support the students in that way. However, as, a, as an adult, I would never you know, go protest that the same way I absolutely have protested established theaters making these very poor decisions. What do you think about, I am curious about this, and I don't know where I fall about sexuality and mm, um okay like playing a different sexuality than, yeah. than you have the questions i ask myself are first is this a role in which the person's and i guess we'll use sexuality this example is mm -hmm. relevant to the story mm -hmm. so if we're gonna do fun home yeah or if we're gonna do you know like that that makes that matters to me it also matters to me what is the industry standard so to, to, for my personal perspective, I've never had a problem with people who are straight playing queer actors or people who are queer actors playing straight actors, mm -hmm. playing straight characters, excuse me, because I, at least personally, I see a lot of that. I see a lot of back and forth. Yeah. I do have a problem, and I know this is gender, not sexuality, but when cisgender actors play transgender characters, yeah. because mm -hmm. there are a lot of amazing transgender actors who aren't getting called in for those cisgender roles. If we're doing Cinderella, mm -hmm. standard, easy show, mm -hmm. there's absolutely no race, gender, body type, there's nothing in that show that needs to be specific to make that, that story work. 
and you're only calling in cis actors or you're only calling in um, thin actors or only calling in white actors that's my problem because then it's like the other shows that you're casting it almost feels like tokenism exactly yeah, yeah like if, if there's an if there's an actor who is of particular body type let's say that who's only getting called in for roles in which their body is part of the script like mm-hmm. you know tracy turnblad or something mm-hmm. That's frustrating to me because they can do more and they mm-hmm. should be able to do more. And I think the reason sexuality personally doesn't irk me as much is because I know a lot of queer actors who play straight roles. Yeah, of course. And, um, and mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the difference for me. Theater is a visual art. Mm-hmm. And there is a, if I can you know, go to Carl Jung for a moment, there is a collective unconscious. When I say the wise old man on top of the hill, we all have an idea of what that means. And some of that is informed by our personal experience, but a lot of that is informed by what society tells us, which is, I think, the issue. Um, I will share a, a personal story of once I was a fly on the wall for a conversation, a casting conversation, uh, in which the playwright was on the call and the they were discussing a woman character. And this playwright just kept saying over and over, like, oh no, they're, they're stunning, they're beautiful. The whole world stops and they walk in. And they're throwing out actors, they're throwing out actors, you know, different backgrounds, different body types, different races. And he's like, no, 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 like gorgeous. Like, I don't think you understand. Like every, eventually it got to the point where it was clear that this playwright was imagining a white, blonde, Coke bottle body, Marilyn Monroe type actor for this role, which I don't think is inherently an issue. If, if they were like, when I wrote this, I was imagining a Marilyn Monroe type. I personally don't find a problem with that. The problem I had was, was the shorthand, was the politic. They were, we're equating. We're, we're, we're supposed to infer that when you say incredibly beautiful, the world stops. It is a white blonde woman. Yeah. Right. Which That's the team didn't. Yeah, the team didn't. They were, and they, they, they were like, oh, yeah, this person's beautiful. This person's talented. This. And he was like, no, 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 no. I mean this. And that's, and that's the, that's, I, I'm going to call a spade a spade. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of controversy around, you know, the Edward Albee estate. Um, there's a lot of very uh, great dialogue, I think, around, you know, Shakespeare. At the end of the day, for me, whether or not I agree with the playwright, the, it's the playwright is law. The playwright is God in this universe. Mm-hmm. So if a playwright comes to me and said, hey, this is a play about a family drama, but I want it to be all white. I put it in the writing. This this is how it's going to be. Okay. It's not within my right to change that, in my opinion. You know, casting and producing can be very uh, insular processes. And if you have not actually sat at the table and listened to people discuss why they're making these decisions, it can feel very mysterious and subjective. So when people see the results of that, see a certain season or a casting decision, and they call it out while I empathize with the people who made the decision because there's so much that they can't or won't understandably explain to the general public. I also very much support people on the other end who are reacting to what they see because, again, it's it's intent and impact. Even if your intent was not to propose this type of message or put this thing forward, if you, the results is what that leads to, then you have to address that. There's no way to say here is the hard and fast rules because all of this, every decision we make is filtered through our own prejudice, by, by our own bias, our own experience. I was reading stuff about the Little Mermaid casting saying, oh, well, the original story is Dutch, so it should be a, it should be a Dutch actor. And all, that, all I hear from that is, so do you think all Dutch people are white? There are black Dutch people. There Absolutely. are black people everywhere. Okay, well, what about like being a redhead? One of my childhood friends is a black man who's a natural born redhead. Like, what are you actually saying? Right. It's not about being Dutch. It's not about having red hair. It's not even about, you know, science. The ocean covers, what, 70% of our planet? If, what's it? If mermaids existed, there'd be equally diverse mermaids as there are people in the world. Like, it's not. Anyway. I wasn't mm-hmm. aware that mermaids could only be white. No. Like, I just went to that. And also, it's, it's fiction. Like, I mm-hmm. would never. Let's, let's use an example. Like, if someone was doing 
you know, a biopic of Amelia Earhart, I would never suggest that that actor not be white. Amelia Earhart's life would have been completely different if she had been part of a different group, a different race, a different ethnicity. The same way if we were going to do, you know, a musical about Frida Kahlo. I, if, I, while I think it'd be amazing to have an actress who is half German and half Mexican, I think if you had to choose between 100% German and 100% Mexican, you choose Mexican considering her life and her story. I mean, she changed the date of her birth to coincide with the Mexican Revolution. Like, she was so involved in creating this image of herself that was more heavily invested in her Mexican culture. I mean, she dropped the E in her name so it would sound less German. Like, it, I think you have to look at the actual story of these people to make these decisions. It's not just, oh, you know, be afraid of the PC police. Like, no, because at the end of the day, too, something that I've experienced and working in living in predominantly white spaces, sometimes well-meaning white people want someone who's not white just to tell them the answer. And so when they're confronted with two people with two different opinions, they have no idea what to do. And I'm like, that's where the critical thinking comes in. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like not all, not all black people, not all casting people, not all Latino people are going to agree on something. And so if you really examine what you are doing and why, if you can really look at that core, that base, I think that's the way to move forward because there are going to be decisions where nobody's going to be happy. And I think as an institution, as a producer, as an individual, you have to know why you're doing what you're doing. I think that's the biggest thing. You have to look deeper than just, oh, this is the best person for the job because that's such a cover. That is an absolute cover. As I can tell you, someone who works in casting, it's not always who's the best person for the job. It's not. You have five people who are equally talented. How do they look together? What's the height? Are we going to have to transpose this? Oh, this person has a conflict this day. Oh, actually, if we make this person white and this person black, oh, is that going to read differently about the whole story of the missing child? Will it it imply that the child was left on purpose because she was black? Like, you have to look at all of these things. And so just to give it this blanket statement of the best person will get it and stop criticizing us. I'm like, "Mm, if the best person got in every situation, every play would look different, every single cast. But that's just me. (laughs) Casting and the stories that we're telling are only a portion of this conversation. The technical side of theater tends to still be more predominantly male while other sides of it generally the artistic sides are inching towards more parody so i think it's also hard to talk about the theater industry as a whole when each department or each field has its own challenges i think right yeah i think i saw that too where it was like especially i feel like sound design there was like there's like no women in sound design i'm like that's where no women are being or, hired as right, no being yeah. hired. Yeah, yeah the women are there. Right. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's whether or not they're actually being hired. Right. Is a, yeah, it's another thing. And All I'm right. sure with them, there's also that, and I can't speak from a personal experience, but I also wonder because of the technical and production sides have so much math and science and physics, and I wonder if there's also that added stigma mm-hmm. for women in those fields that women in STEM fields often have to face. What conversations are we not having that you think we should be having? I think we should be addressing the fact that diversity does not just mean race and ethnicity. Mm -hmm. As you said, also can refer to sexuality, gender, ability. Um, When it comes to staffing, the institutional side, it is incredibly difficult for people who are not from certain economic backgrounds to take an unpaid internship in Mm -hmm. theater or to take a job in theater where they're making what, 23,000 a year living in a major city, I think we need to talk, I think we need to broaden our perspective of diversity because it's not simply a race issue. Although I do feel sometimes it's easier for people to conceptualize what's a race issue because you can quote unquote see it in a way that you may not be able to see someone's, uh, you know, 
someone that someone's not neurotypical. You may not be able to see someone's economic background. So I would love for people to talk about that. I also wished we talked more about action-based results. It is one thing to say that I had a conversation with someone in a position of power, and now they, as an individual, understand uh, white fragility better than they did. That's progress, I think. That's growth. But if then all of their actions afterwards are the same, if the season still looks the same, if casting still looks the same, if hiring still looks the same, then what was the point of that? Um, It's been challenged to me, well, if someone is truly changed on the inside, won't that reflect on the outside? And that's my hope. Absolutely. I hope that that does happen. But I don't want to spend my entire life hoping for people's hearts to change and then for them to decide to do the right thing. (laughs) So going back to call out culture, there are times where I know theaters have made different decisions, not because leadership actually had a change of mind, a change of heart, but because they're afraid of public backlash. But at the end of the day, if that pushes the needle forward, I'm about using all the all the tools we have in our arsenal. Again, in a perfect world, the heart would change and the actions would follow. But it's very easy for people to say their heart has changed, but their hands are tied. You know, the board wants this. The budget wants this. Um, That's too much of a risk. No one's worked with that person before. We need to go off of, you know, proven results, not potential. The best person for the job. There's so many covers. So I think looking at as an individual, do you really think differently now? Do you feel differently now? Do you understand the value of EDI work? Or are you just saying you do and then continuing to operate the same way you always have? And I think for people who are used to being on the side of calling people out, people who are used to pointing fingers and and making claims and starting change.org petitions, which are all relevant and necessary, we also have to turn that eye inward because while there are definitely power balances in this world, there are very clear hierarchies, everyone has bias, everyone has prejudice. And just because you are part of a marginalized group does not mean you are immune to the effects of living in a dominant culture. I think that's very important as well. When it comes to Atlanta as a whole mm-hmm. and its theater scene, yes, are you seeing any uh, great changes when it comes to you know hiring or casting? Uh, mm. Where do you see the landscape as it is right now and where it's going? Where do I see the landscape? That's a great question. I'm very excited for Jamil Jude's tenure at uh, True Colors. I'm very excited for John Carr's tenure at Dad's Garage. Um, something that I am curious about is I'm... As a whole, I feel like our theater community is siloed. Um, and I've only been here for a few years. I wasn't raised in this community, so I can't speak on that perspective. But it seems that our audiences pick one theater to go to and don't go to any others, at least that's the, what the data I've read said. And so I would love to know exactly what it is about you know, synchronicity, about True Colors, about Actors Express that holds their audiences so well, but also doesn't allow them to spread out more. And I said that for us too. I mean, Mm -hmm. we, within our own sphere, we have people who only come to the enhanced musicals or people who only come to the Candida plays. And I would love to know how to branch that out so when people aren't only going for things they're already comfortable with. So I don't know if that really answers your question about how I see it in terms of gender and race and all of those things. I I have not done all the the research, but it feels like we're pretty separate Mm -hmm. and I wish we weren't as much. Is there anything that we have not asked that you think that we should touch on? Or if there's anything that you want to leave our listeners with? (laughs) I, I think that, again, I'm going back to call out culture, I think that's a very relevant subject right now. I hope everyone is, is equally as critical of where they are coming from as they are of other people. I think it is, again, very easy to look at 
a different theater or a different staff and point out the faults and not look at where you sit, where you work, where you live and take responsibility for what you can take responsibility for. Um, I know we've talked a lot about power dynamics because they, they are very relevant, but everyone in their position, I do think can do something. I mean, us three here may not make the final decisions about casting and producing, marketing and programming, but we are in meetings where our voices can be heard. We can say, hey, I'm concerned about this, or actually I think this kind of sentiment reflects something that we, sh we don't actually represent. I think we need to be aware of these things. I think we need to push a little deeper, just talk more. Can we put something on the calendar so we can discuss this? I'm a little uncomfortable. I think that those are things that we can all do that sometimes in the face of these very large complicated nuanced issues we can feel we're powerless when we're not mm -hmm. and i'm and i'm saying we intentionally this is not a you know a call to action solely for thin people or white people or able-bodied people or neurotypical people i deep down like to believe that all of us want our art to be better to be more empathetic to be more connective to get more people to see it, to make more money from it, <laughs> for us to make a living actually doing what we love. I think we all want the same things. We're disagreeing on how to get there, and all of us are still working through our own personal ish that makes it hard to acknowledge the bias in our choices. So I would just love to leave people with the idea that we can take responsibility and that it's progress, not perfection. Hershey <laughs> Milner, thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. I'm Collins DeSell, and I'm the Grants Manager here at the Alliance, uh, and that means I write all of our foundation and government grants and also manage those foundations, but what it really means, that's my technical job, I tell the stories of the Alliance Theater. The Alliance wants to see a, a women of color in every C-suite. We cannot stomach hearing the excuse that there are few women of color leading nonprofit and for-profit businesses because there aren't any qualified candidates. Um, we, we just called bull on that one. And it's time for no more excuses and time for action. So in 2016, the Alliance launched our Spelman Leadership Fellows program in partnership with Spelman College, which is a historically black college and university here in Atlanta. It's part of the Atlanta uh, University system, um, along with Morehouse. Um, it's Morehouse Spelman and, and Clark Atlanta. And what, we, what we've done since 2016 is every year we hire three uh, women of color who are in their senior year at Spelman as interns, and they work part-time with us at the theater. They're paid, and they work across departments, getting ex first-hand experience in every department at the Alliance and really finding where their passion passions are and where they um, fit. And they really lean into that and they work on projects and are mentored by several members of staff and our board of directors and really are part of our part of our staff, just like anyone else. Um, and at the end of their year with us, one of the women is selected to be a full time fellow for two years. And she does become a full time staff member, just like anyone else working in a department. So our inaugural fellow, uh, Maya Lawrence, was in our education department and she was one of our teaching artists. She really developed curriculum for a lot of our teen programs uh, that we do in schools, and she developed curriculum for our Alliance at Work uh, program, which is our corporate training program, and her work really focused on increasing civility in the workplace. 
And now that her fellowship is over, she is a full-time member of the Alliance staff in education, continuing that work. Um, our second fellow, Ariel Jacob, was also in our education department, and she ran all of our classes and camps and expanded those programs. We're now in seven satellite locations throughout the city. So took a challenge, which was we've got all this demand and we have no space on campus to put these children to let's make that an opportunity and expand into satellite programs so not only are we reaching more children but are able to serve different communities throughout the city uh, so that's what she's doing and then our current uh, one of our current fellows our third fellow is working in casting so she works in our artistic department um, working right alongside our casting director our other interns um, who who were not full-time fellows, but they are doing things like one of our interns is a Fulbright Scholar in South Korea. Um, we have one who was accepted on a full ride to USC. She's doing uh, screenwriting um, and, like I said, got a full scholarship. And others are uh, performing on Disney Cruise Lines. Uh, we have others in graduate school. So they are all on track to... Uh, they've taken this early leadership training that we that we invested in them and they are taking it to the next level and are on track to be the next movers and shakers in for-profits and non-profits across the country. You've been listening to the Alliance Theatre Podcast. For updates and new episodes, visit us at alliancetheater.org slash podcast. Have a question, comment, or an idea for a future episode? Email us at podcast at alliancetheater.org.